I want you to think back to late January, to January 30th, actually. The United States Senate may be on the eve tonight of deciding whether to call witnesses before deciding President Trump's fate. Washington was in the middle of impeachment drama. The fight over witnesses was raging. But just a short drive from the Senate chamber, there was this other thing happening, something that the Trump administration had wanted for years. Good morning and welcome. And thank you, Secretary Azar and Director Grogan, for all of your support on this important policy. This is Seema Verma, the administrator for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. She oversees the two programs. And she was there to announce the administration's new health care policy. The Trump administration's Healthy Adult Opportunity is a groundbreaking new policy that holds the potential to transform the Medicaid program. And it wouldn't have been we had reported all the key details of this new policy, the Healthy Adult Opportunity, in the week leading up to Seema Verma's announcement. That's Dan Diamond. He covers health care for Politico. And this new policy that Dan had heard about could fundamentally change how millions of Americans get their health care. And I would bet, Lizzie, that listeners either are covered by one of the programs that Seema Verma runs, like Medicaid or Medicare, or they know someone who is. That day, Verma announced something that conservatives have wanted for decades, caps on how much money states could potentially get for Medicaid. Instead of unlimited federal dollars, they'd get a chunk, a block grant. This would change how the program has been funded since the 1960s. You had been doing a lot of reporting before this actually happened, and I'm curious what the kind of machinations are like before a policy rollout is coming. Do they want reporters like you to know? Do they not? Like, how do they play it? <laughs> I think it depends on on the outlet. Politico is not the favored outlet of the Trump administration's health department, given some of the stories we've broken and the investigations we've we've begun. But this policy was underway for probably about two years before the Trump administration finally announced it. And the reason it took so long was the legal hurdles that needed to be surmounted to change Medicaid in this way. That's that's no small change. And the person driving all this change is Seema Verma. She wanted this policy to happen. She made it happen. She She said, this is going to be a legacy initiative for me. We have to make this happen. So Seema Verma is the the point person behind changing the Medicaid program. Putting this in context, how big a deal was this proposal? It's a major development because conservatives have wanted this idea for decades. They've wanted to be able to let states cap their Medicaid funding to pursue these block grants. It goes back to the Ronald Reagan administration as, as like a wish list for what conservatives wanted to do. Verma's plans face major obstacles. Medicaid advocates are staunchly opposed, and there may be court challenges over whether the administration can even carry this policy out. But there's no question that Seema Verma's vision is to radically alter the social safety net. Today on the show, the woman pushing to change Medicaid as we know it. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, in for Mary Harris, and you're listening to What Next? Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I want to get into the policy particulars, but before we do, let's talk about Seema Verma a little bit. Like, who is she? Who is Seema Verma is a question that has occupied a lot of my (laughs) mind over the past three years. When Donald Trump got elected in 2016, he didn't have a big policy shop around him. Famously, Hillary Clinton had this giant team of all these policy wonks. Donald Trump didn't have that. And many of the people in the Republican intellectual firmament had had turned on Donald Trump. They had said things about him in the run-up to the election. They didn't want to support him. They were worried about working for him. So Mike Pence ended up getting to staff a lot of the key agencies. And when it came time to staff the health department and to pick someone who would be over Medicaid as well as Medicare and the Affordable Care Act, Seema Verma was the name that Mike Pence picked. Seema Verma was Mike Pence's consultant on Medicaid back when he ran the state of Indiana. And she ended up assuming a lot of power, almost as much, if not more, than the full-time Medicaid officials in the state government. So she has been with the administration since day one overseeing this gigantic budget, $1 trillion, which is bigger than most cabinet agencies. One way to try to understand Verma's goals is to look at what she's done in the past. While she was advising then-Governor Pence, Indiana expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, but in a way that fit with Verma's conservative vision. She did oversee an expansion, the Healthy Indiana Plan, uh, that, that allowed Obamacare coverage to come into the state. But it was modified compared to how it might have been in a state like California or New York, where Democrats were in charge. To, to make it effective in a Republican-led state, there were controls that were intended to make it more consumer-driven, to give individual patients rewards if they were doing things that were seen to better their own health. The new Healthy Indiana Plan, or HIP 2.0, offers qualified Hoosiers an affordable way to purchase their own health insurance. It's coverage that encourages Hoosiers to make better health care choices, lead healthier lives. It also had more limitations around who would get covered compared to some other states. So it was, it was kind of in the middle of what a Democrat state might want to do on Medicaid and what a lot of Republican states at the time had failed to do. So Seema Verma did help expand Medicaid in Mike Pence's state. But it wasn't as far as some Democrat states would have liked to see it go. Then, 
Once she assumed federal office, there was her plan to let states impose work requirements on some Medicaid recipients, another controversial move. Several states were interested, and Arkansas tried it from 2018 to 2019. Recipients had to prove that they either had jobs, were looking for them, were doing community activities, or risk losing their coverage. Objectively, Lizzie, the policy was a failure. I will say that when we visited Arkansas, we heard from a lot of people who were confused about the requirements, uh, how they were to be reported. If people It led to thousands of people every month losing Medicaid coverage because they couldn't prove that they had work. Or maybe they, they did have work, they just didn't know that they now had to fill out this new requirement to keep their health coverage. Uh, even those who were aware that the requirements existed also expressed concern in many cases about their ability to meet them. There were people who were working, but maybe not working enough hours, for example. Or, or Meanwhile, a federal judge stepped in after some lawsuits and said, this policy is, is cruel. It didn't follow the strictures of, of the Medicaid Act, the, the idea that Medicaid is a program not created to force people to work, but to provide health care, and that this was outside the bounds of what the law could do. So the policy took effect in Arkansas. About 17,000, 18,000 people ended up losing coverage over the, the course of its brief run before a judge put a stop to it. And then other states also had their plans approved, but didn't get off the ground because of all the legal fighting over Arkansas. Well, let's talk about the rollout of this policy proposal that we started with at the top of the show, healthy adult opportunity. She doesn't like using the phrase block grants. How would you describe what this proposal does? First, I would call it block grants. Uh, (laughs) I I, I know the Trump administration doesn't like the term. It's a term that in, in the policy world has really been tarred and feathered for decades. There were attempts to block grant welfare. Some states have tried to get block grants put into law over the years, but but this would be the first true Medicaid block grant. And it would allow a state like Oklahoma, which is led by a Republican governor, like Tennessee, also led by a Republican, let those states apply to cap the amount of money they get for Medicaid. Now, now this is a little little wonky, so maybe I'll I'll try and offer an example. Yeah, that'd be great. Medicaid is a matching program. Uh, and, and what that means is a state can put in money, the U.S. federal government puts in money too. And let's say that the state of Oklahoma puts in $50 million on, on Medicaid. The U.S. government puts in $50 million of its own. So you've got $100 million in Medicaid money. That goes up and down then based on what the state spends. Maybe 1,000 more people sign up for Medicaid. Oklahoma needs to spend $5 million more. The federal government puts in $5 million more. But under a block grant, instead, Oklahoma could go to the federal government and say, look, we want you to give us $50 million up front. That's all we want. And we'll make it work from here. So the state gets the money, but then doesn't have to ask for more money as more people sign up. Or alternately, maybe people leave and they've got more money to play with. But it creates a capped system where there's only so much money to go around. And what makes so many advocates worried, Lizzie, is the possibility that people will just lose coverage. There won't be enough money to go around. Maybe there are services cut back. Maybe people won't be able to sign up for coverage at all. And that's why block grants are so explosive in the world that I cover, where for years, Medicaid has worked a certain way. More and more people have signed up for it. But if we shifted to a block grant system, 
states would be able to hold steady the amount of money they spend and likely limit the number of people who get covered. Seema Verma wrote a piece in The Washington Post about this, and one of the things she argued was that, hey, states could keep their funding levels the same as in the past. Um, Is there anything to that? States have to apply for waivers from the federal government to change what they pay for, who can get covered, all kinds of different aspects of the program. And the administrator, Seema Verma, is right. If states wanted to keep their funding levels the same, they could. I think where she isn't as clear is that this plan, this policy, is all about letting states cap the amount of funding that they spend. And it's not a secret. You can go to these Republican governors. I've, I've heard from them myself. You can go to these Republican governors and they will say, we spend too much money on health care. Medicaid is the number one budget line item in my state. Maybe it's number two. I want to have more money to spend on education. I want to have more money to spend on these other priorities. So the administrator, Verma, Seema Verma, is correct. States don't have to do this, but states will want to do it because it's a Republican idea that they've wanted for decades. If you take all of these things together, why is it that Seema Verma is so interested in scaling back these programs? That is the question that if I ever got Seema Verma in front of me, in front of a microphone, I'd want to ask her too. Why is this the organizing principle? Why is this the the key priority of the Trump administration to overhaul Medicaid in this way? And I think what she would say is she's trying to save Medicaid. She is trying to make sure that this program persists and is available for those really vulnerable Americans, people who can't go out and get jobs, or people who maybe joined the program when they could have shopped around for private insurance instead. And and her belief is that to save Medicaid, some people should be off Medicaid. So there's this other storyline that runs alongside a lot of these policy changes that Seema Verma is trying to enact. And it's really about power. When we heard that policy rollout, it was announced by Verma, but she was on stage with her boss, Alex Azar, the the head of HHS. Um, How would you describe the two of their relationship? (laughs) What what is a synonym for frosty uh, or cordial on the surface and and, uh, stabbing knives behind the scenes? Politico wrote a story, my my colleagues and I, um, Adam Kankren and and Rachna Pradhan, wrote a story a couple months ago about the seething tensions behind the scenes in Trump's health department. Alex Azar, he's the health secretary. He's the cabinet official. He is nominally the boss. But Seema Verma, she has her own giant portfolio, her own $1 trillion budget. And while she technically reports to Azar, she has her own relationships in the White House. And the two of them spent a good portion of last year trying to unseat the other, trying to win favor with the president. And that meant one of them owning part of Donald Trump's healthcare portfolio, trying trying to deliver on his drug pricing agenda. That's what Alex Azar is really leading. And then Seema Verma took on the Obamacare repeal effort. But both Verma and, and Azar didn't necessarily support the other one's efforts and instead looked for ways to get the other person out of office. She's also had a a few bumps of her own, um, which you've reported on, some stories you broke about 
spending and spending on consultants or trying to get taxpayer reimbursements for things. Tell me about that. About a year ago, my colleague Adam Cankran and I broke the story that Seema Verma had spent a couple million dollars on publicity consultants. It's not unusual for the federal government to hire consultants. Government does it all the time. And the government does hire people to do ads. There are ads for Obamacare. There are ads for Medicare. You might see them on TV, on the side of a bus. That's not unusual. What was unusual was that Seema Verma had brought in either people that she had tried to hire in the federal government but hadn't been able to. So instead, they became consultants working with her at highly paid salaries. And she also brought in people who worked on her personal PR, coming up with a campaign to get her invited to high-profile events in healthcare, uh, get her featured in magazines like Glamour. These are things that I can't remember in all my time covering healthcare for a decade. I can't remember another government official having a personal PR team paid for by taxpayers. And some of these things would have happened anyway. I mean, she is one of the most important people in healthcare. You don't need a personal PR team to get you invited to healthcare events. But some of the things that she was seeking, like these high-profile speaking opportunities outside of healthcare, that might have been where a PR campaign could have been helpful. The the irony is also not lost, Lizzie, that, that even as Seema Verma has pushed new requirements on low-income patients, she commissioned a publicity campaign using taxpayer money and, and sought government insurance for her own needs, too. The reason I'm asking you this is not just sort of about other stories and what you've reported, but also her political viability. This is a president, after all, who likes to see his officials look effective, look strong, not be hit repeatedly in the press, as as he would say it. And so I guess I think about her political capital. Where does she stand in the Trump administration now? That's a fascinating question. President Trump, from, from all of our understanding, likes Seema Verma. He thinks she's tough. She has taken blows in public, in, in closed-door meetings, and pushed back. He likes that. He likes fighters. He also likes that, frankly, she's a woman of color in a Republican administration that lacks people of, of both. She's arguably one of one of two or three most prominent women of, of color that the Trump administration has hired. So she has her champions inside the administration. I think her scandals of last year, this publicity campaign, uh, which led to congressional investigations and there's an ongoing inspector general probe uh, that that weakened her position. There was some fear that inspector general um, will still come back in the in the next couple of weeks and say, Seema Verma wasn't honest to Congress about how she was spending taxpayer money on on publicity. And there were also rivals of hers, people who supported her boss, Alex Azar, and thought that she was trying to undermine him and that she should go uh, because she's insubordinate. It, it's It's a volatile situation. But I would say that as of February of an election year, it would be very difficult for the Trump administration to oust her and have someone ready to replace her. Where do you see her push to change Medicaid going from here? Her two biggest initiatives were work requirements, which have been blocked by the courts, and this new block grant initiative that is going to be blocked by the courts. So there is still an effort to see those through, but a realistic understanding that it's not going to happen this year, this first term of, of President Trump. 
Seema Verma has done a lot of other things around Medicaid that get less attention, but might end up being even more impactful. She's talked a lot about Medicaid spending too much money on ineligible enrollees, that people who shouldn't be getting Medicaid are signing up and states like California and New York aren't doing enough to screen who's getting coverage. She wants to crack down on that. That could lead to a lot of people in those states losing coverage. She also has proposed something wonky. I, I, I will be honest, it's, it's, it's wonky even for me, but called the Medicaid Fiscal Accountability Rule. And that complicated policy could really constrain how states are spending money, and that could lead to further tightening of the Medicaid purse strings. So a program that, that really grew under the Obama administration, Medicaid, has, has shrunk in different ways under Trump and under Seema Verma. There's this politically tricky thing, though, about what Verma and the Trump administration are trying to do. On the one hand, trying to scale back Medicaid is a longtime conservative goal, something the administration's allies really want. But on the other hand, Medicaid is popular. It's a program that polls extremely well, not only in blue states, but with the passing of the Affordable Care Act in red states, too. It has been extremely popular in states that expanded the Medicaid program. Governor John Bell Edwards in Louisiana, he's a Democrat. He ran on a promise to expand Medicaid. 400,000 people signed up within the first year or so. Closer to home in Virginia, it was a major issue in the most recent governor's race there. So yes, Medicaid is driving people to the polls, major issue in these purple states or even red states. At the same time, Donald Trump has walked away from a promise he made during his presidential campaign back in 2015, 2016, a promise he made to protect Medicaid. The most recent State of the Union, Donald Trump did not say he was going to protect Medicaid. Yeah. He singled out Social Security and Medicare, did not mention Medicaid. Similarly, the moves that Seema Verma has made and, and allowed for, these are moves that objectively would be interpreted as cutting Medicaid. And while I think the Trump administration is, is conscious of this challenge, they are going to message it by saying, look, we, we have stabilized the broader healthcare market and we're letting states do what they want for their programs. We're getting the federal government out of, of calling the shots. And if a Republican state wants to change its Medicaid program, more power to them. Is there any worry on the part of the Trump administration or national Republicans that these moves to go after or reshape Medicaid could push voters toward Democrats? There's so much fear that Donald Trump is going to lose on the health care issue this fall. It's a fear that, that he shared. We wrote a story a couple of weeks ago about President Trump seeing some polling that he's behind Democrats on health care. He was in the middle of a meeting, called up Health Secretary Alex Azar to yell at him about, are, are they doing everything they can to make him a stronger candidate on health care issues? And what Republicans are, are calculating is if, if they talk less about Obamacare and less about Medicaid and less about Medicare, but more about things like Donald Trump is fighting opioids, Donald Trump is spending a lot of money to fight HIV, to change how people with kidney disease get cared for, like all of these public health initiatives, if Donald Trump can seem strong on that, they will win some share of the health care vote. I think that remains to be seen. There are a lot of Americans who like those things, but they're really worried about losing their health insurance. And, and Democrats completely have that issue on their side. 
Dan Diamond. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me, Lizzie. Dan Diamond writes Politico Pulse, a morning briefing on healthcare politics and policy. You can also check out his podcast, Pulse Check, wherever you're listening to this one right now. All right, that is our show for today. What Next is produced by Jason DeLeon, Mary Wilson, Mara Silvers, and Danielle Hewitt. Alongside What Next TBD producer Ethan Brooks. And I will be back tomorrow morning with a new episode of What Next TBD, so check that out. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, filling in for Mary Harris. Talk to you soon.